0: Welcome to Fresh Fusion, a show where we discuss the business, the art, the ethics of content creation on the open web. My name is Jared White, and this is episode 96, Digital Ecological Collapse. Folks, we are witnessing the total meltdown of the commercial internet. <laughs> but why why is this happening why are we seeing so much and thank you to Corey Dr O for this term why are we seeing so much enshittification going on like everywhere you turn services are becoming enshittified <laughs> it's just like every day i feel like every day now i wake up and i open mastodon and i see yet another link Yet another headline about the enchidification of the commercial internet. And it's really reached a fever pitch. Like, it's just, it's so ubiquitous now. You you, you aren't even surprised. And yet somehow you're still surprised when you find out that, yes, your favorite service has very well gone unshittified in the last 48 hours or whatever. I mean, it's just bananas. Uh, where, where do we even start? There's so much news here. Uh, in case you're new to the show, uh, I've been gone for a few weeks, uh, essentially rebuilding the future of everything I do on the internet. (laughs) I'll, I'll get into that a bit more in a few moments, but uh, there's just been a ton of work behind the scenes here. Uh, there was also a huge uh, Apple Worldwide Developer Conference where Apple announced a bunch of products. I was so scared going into this year's WWDC. I was so scared that, yes, Apple II would go down the inshittification path and announce a bunch of garbage AI stuff for the sake of the hype. And thankfully, they did not do that. In fact, they didn't even use the term AI. They continue to use the more correct term, machine learning, a term that I prefer to use as well, because everything people are calling AI right now is not, it's not intelligent. There's no real intelligence there whatsoever, Uh, and people keep sort of pronouncing that there's this path from the AI of today to AGI, which is artificial general intelligence, which is essentially saying human or superhuman intelligence. And it's it's all garbage. But before I get ahead of myself, uh let's let's just look at a few of the things that have happened in the last few weeks, touch on some of these news bulletins And then uh, I want to fill you in on what I'm working on here uh, behind the scenes for Fresh Fusion and other content projects. So probably the biggest thing that everyone's talking about right now is Reddit and the meltdown at Reddit following the meltdown of Twitter. uh, And, you know, the funny thing is, like, Meta... (laughs) Despite how awful Meta has been for years and all the conversations we've had around Facebook and around Zuckerberg and like it, it almost seems quaint to harken back to those days when we are worried about uh, data breaches and privacy leaks on Facebook and what Meta's doing to cover up this or that. Like Meta now looks like the adult in the room, which is super weird. <laughs> It's like, oh man, Twitter's the worst. Reddit's the worst. Thank God I can go back to Instagram. Wait, what? <laughs> it's just crazy. It's crazy what's been going on with Reddit. Like, you know the old joke about well that escalated quickly. It, it felt like the the rhetoric around Reddit and what they were doing to third party apps and how they were treating their community and treating moderators on Reddit. It it just escalated so quickly, and the CEO of Reddit, Steve Huffman, just, he seems like a total tool, like he's an asshole, <laughs> and that harkens back to my favorite, uh, one of my favorite movie quotes of all time from Back to the Future Part 3. Uh, that that pivotal moment when Marty is being goaded on by Mad Dog Tannen and the whole town's there waiting to see how it's gonna respond, and you think he's gonna, you know, give in to the whole "Are you Yella? Are you a chicken?" And all of a sudden he's just like, "He's an asshole. He's an asshole. I don't have to listen to him. I don't have to listen to anybody." <laughs> I love that moment in that movie because like that that single moment is when something snaps in Marty and he realizes like. F this BS. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. I don't have to take this. This guy's an asshole. <laughs> I feel like that's that's kind of where we are now with Reddit. It's like we look at the, what the CEO of Reddit is saying about his own community, about the third-party apps that help make Reddit what it is, and we can all collectively say, he's an asshole. We don't have to listen to him. <laughs> Oh, man, I I posted, uh, you know, among the many things I post on Mastodon, of course, I posted uh, something that uh, I guess touched a nerve because it it totally went viral and just so much uh, momentum around this conversation. But essentially, I quoted from what Steve said about, uh, well, let me just let me just tell you what he said, because it's it's just so absurd. Here's, Here's what Steve Huffman said in an interview. Reddit represents one of the largest data sets of just human beings talking about interesting things. We are not in the business of giving that away for free. Uh, now, of course, Steve is talking about uh, the the sort of allegations that have been flying that OpenAI and possibly other uh, AI uh, training models sucked up a bunch of data from Reddit and you know Reddit's not getting a piece of that action. So Steve's mad that you know his his Reddit API was used to seed these other uh, you know AI products. They're making a bunch of money now and and he he wants a piece of that action. <laughs> uh, but so so here's what I said uh, in this Mastodon post in response to what Steve is saying. You and me were just data sets, years of interaction with fellow human beings, building community, sharing insight and creativity. It's all just data, data to be mined and monetized. Huffman's not mad Reddit was scraped for a chatbot. He's mad he wasn't paid for the privilege. It's his data, you see, his, not yours. Now, of course, there's there were some reply guys that came out of the woodworks and said, "Well, actually, if you look at the terms of service, blah 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 blah, it technically is uh, Reddit's data to do with what it wishes, blah blah blah." And I'm just like. Okay, so like setting aside the legalities here of like d- does Reddit legally have a data set that they can, you know, control access to and put behind a paywall for certain types of use cases or whatever. Sure. Legally that's the agreement that Reddit and its users have in place. And it's the same kind of agreement that pretty much any service on the Internet has. Like anytime you post anything anywhere on any web service, you're agreeing to allow them to use that content for purposes you don't really have control over and there's no guarantee they're ever going to you know, compensate you for, for that privilege. So, yes, the, <laughs> that's the technicality of the law. But what's the spirit of the law? What's the spirit of a site such as Reddit? Reddit only exists. Reddit only exists because of the things that people post on it. There's no Reddit apart from the community that posts content there funny jokes, memes, links to videos they've made, links to videos other people have made, photography, whatever. X-rated stuff, like the whole gamut. The whole gamut of human experience in every niche you could possibly imagine pretty much, you know. It, it's all on Reddit. Reddit's Reddit's kind of been the Wild West of the internet for a while now because there's just so many different Uh, communities on there so many different subreddits and and these subreddits are moderated by people in the community by and large right like again like reddit itself as the company is is basically just a technology platform that everyone else uses to to make reddit what it is So, you know, the thing I didn't say in the viral toot, which I should have said, uh, you know, if I had room, the thing I should have added there is like, dude, Steve Huffman, CEO of Reddit, dude, the only reason you have that data set is because we, the humans, gave you all that content for free, for free. (laughs) We've given you all our content for free. We've given you all our moderation activity for free. Sometimes we even pay Reddit, right? With like coins and whatever. Like I, I paid Reddit for a while. I wanted to support the site. I didn't want to just be a freeloader and, you know, just only be valuable to Reddit because of ads. I wanted to actually support Reddit as a, as a you know, as a technology consumer and producer of content myself, right? So I've paid them. <laughs> and, and this is the attitude we get back I'm mad because people have taken my data set and not paid me for the privilege. Dude, the only reason you have that data set is because we've given it to you. We gave Reddit its data set. We, you, and me, and internet users all around the world. We provided Reddit this massive data set for free and then they turn around and say, "Well, we want to charge for it." Cuz we don't like what the generative AI companies are up to, and we don't like what these third-party apps are up to cuz they're just using our API. They're just Apollo's just using our API and making money. They're building a business off of our data set, and we're not making enough money. So we need to we need to turn this around. Steve Huffman might as well just show up at the door of every single person who's ever provided Reddit with free content and just punch them in the face, right? (laughs) Come on, (laughs) come over here and punch me in the face, Steve, because that's what this feels like. It feels like you're just going around and punching your community members in the face. The the, the posters, the moderators, the third-party app developers. As people have been pointing out, Reddit didn't even have a first party mobile client for a long time. Like you could only use Reddit on mobile phones and native apps through third-party clients for for quite some time. Like the idea that Reddit has its own official first-party mobile app is fairly new. So, like like the entire ecosystem that has made Reddit what it is today. Is nothing more than data sets to be monetized. And boy does that wrinkle. Boy does that make your blood boil. <laughs> and it's made a lot of people's blood boil because we've seen all kinds of community action going on. You know, subreddits going dark for a period of time, subreddits going dark permanently. Now there's this turf war going on where Reddit's, uh, you know, official stance is like we're going to replace moderators that are shutting down communities and not letting people's real voices be heard because you know they're trying to portray the whole protest movement as just like a tiny number of whack jobs that are just grumpy you know, just ignore that folks, ignore all that. It's just a a bunch of noise. You don't need to worry about it. Reddit's gonna be fine. They're gonna go ahead with their IPO in a few months. It's all good. Investors, it's all good. Everything's fine here at Reddit. (laughs) Cue the meme of the dog (laughs) drinking coffee or tea or whatever. This is fine as the building's going up in flames. Like, (laughs) it's not fine. It's not fine. Nobody can trust Reddit anymore. They, they've they've destroyed any ounce of goodwill they've ever had from decades and decades of of being Reddit and doing the the Reddit stuff. Right? Like any any ounce of goodwill they've ever uh, gotten from the community at large, they they've just burned it all down. They've blown it all up in a matter of days. Why? Why? this this is the question. we We keep talking about the inshidification of the internet. and we we can talk about what that is, but ultimately, I'm more concerned about why that is. Why is this happening? Why does something like what happens at Twitter happen? Why does somebody like Elon Musk come along and say, "Well, I'm just gonna buy Twitter, takes it over." and then proceeds to dismantle whatever it was that made twitter exciting and interesting and special like like he he doesn't just not get twitter he really doesn't get twitter like like elon musk really did not get twitter now, now he got the like the form of you know shit posting and getting a bazillion retweets or whatever you know he he got the influencer side if you will, Twitter, like he he knew how to push people's buttons and get a bunch of activity and, you know, sort of the dark side of social media, like Elon knew how to do that side of things. But the like, the the, the actual work, like the actual real work of building lasting community on the internet, nay, the real work of building community in the world among humans, like (laughs) the hard part, you know, building relationships of trust. Protecting people, creating safe spaces for for real conversation that doesn't get taken over by bad actors, right? Like like all the hard work that goes into building lasting communities of real value. Elon was clueless, clueless about all this. And now it's infuriating because it seems like the CEO of Reddit, similarly clueless. Clueless. Why are the people running the largest social media platforms on the internet clueless about how to be social? Clueless about how to build communities of trust, of safety? Why are these people in charge? Why did we allow these people to become in charge of these platforms? Why do we use these platforms that are run by people that are so antisocial? It's bananas. It's bananas. And then doesn't just stop there, right? Like we're seeing like all these other tech products and and platforms just going down the tubes. (laughs) Amazon. I don't even want to shop at Amazon anymore. Like Amazon's been problematic for a long time on a variety of metrics. But instead of getting better, it just seems like it gets worse and worse to the point where I felt like icky ordering something from Amazon. Like every time an Amazon package would arrive and I'd go to pick it up near my house, I'd walk over to the mailbox and I'd be like, oh God, I'm getting something from Amazon. And it wasn't always like that. Like it used to be super exciting, like, oh, yay, another package from Amazon. Woohoo, so exciting. Got this thing I ordered yesterday or whatever. Now I'm just like, Google search. Google search became the phenomenon that it became because in the early days, it was so much better than anything out there. Like all these other sites on the internet at that time were becoming inshittified. Like inshittification is nothing new, folks. Like Google was the opposite of all the inshittified portals and search engines of its time, right? Google came out and it's like, here's an almost blank page, with a single text box. Type into the text box, click a button, and you get some search results back that are really good. Really good search results with a really simple interface. We're better at search than anybody else by a mile. That's what made Google. That's what made Google. And what have they done (laughs) with this better product? Simple, elegant, easy to use, easy to understand. It's becoming shitified. Google search sucks. (laughs) I don't use Google at all anymore. I use DuckDuckGo. And, you know, yes, for certain searches, and particularly in certain parts of the world, the United States is better than some other places. Uh, You know, in certain cases with certain searches, DuckDuckGo's results aren't super great. Maybe you can still get better results from Google, but by and large, in so many other ways, something like DuckDuckGo is so much better now than Google search. Why? Why? Why do these products, why do these surfaces <laughs> become shitified <laughs> when they start out good? Tesla. Let's talk about Tesla for a minute. I used to admire Tesla. You know, again, like the whole Elon thing here, uh, we, we've we've come to realize uh, what's really going on. But back in the day, you know, go rewind the clock, say five years, Tesla seemed so cool, right? They're 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 coming out with these electric cars. They're going to be so great for the environment. It's going to usher in this new age. They're all technologically sophisticated. They're they're sticking it to the man uh in the car industry uh you know it's it's like the apple of cars in fact people were saying like why would apple build a car tesla's already the apple of cars and they're saying all this stuff about how self-driving is going to be amazing and it's going to change everything now we get to today and whoops (laughs) turns out a lot of that self-driving car stuff was a bunch of crap a lot of it was just faked they lied. They lied about it every turn. They lied about what self driving could do. They lied about how far they were in that process. They lied about uh, crash statistics and other safety problems with the technology. You know, you, you kept hearing Elon say things like, oh, this is going to be so much safer than human drivers. Turns out that's all garbage. Uh, Tesla's build quality has suffered in many ways over the years, uh, just all kinds of, of production issues. Um, we're, we're now finding out there are all kinds of environmental problems with cars in general, beyond just, you know, gas versus electricity, like just the mere act of all these vehicles. And in this respect, electric cars are worse because they're so much heavier, you know, heavy cars driving on roads all the time. Uh, kick up all kinds of micropollutants into the atmosphere. People breathe it. It's a big health hazard. <laughs> you know, going electric doesn't solve that. Again, it might actually make that worse. Um, uh, the the materials that go into electric cars, uh, you know, substances and uh, minerals, uh, cobalt mining, I was just hearing a lot about recently, like it's really a problem. Cobalt mining is is not only... Really bad for the environment, surprise, surprise, but it's also like wreaking havoc on communities in the world, you know, poor people having to work these mines, et cetera. Like, (laughs) there's this whole host of ethical, societal, environmental issues revolving around the pipeline of producing these futuristic electric cars that everyone is admiring about Tesla. And, okay, maybe maybe some of it's just been naivete on my part and many people's parts. Like may, maybe all of the warning signs were always there in plain view and we just didn't see it. You know, maybe in is less about what companies do and more about our process of awakening, like our process of, of slowly realizing, oh, this is not great, folks. This is not great, <laughs> and it comes down to the simplest of things, right? Like, like, like Uber. You know, everybody knows Uber, Hail and Uber. They're adding ads to their platforms, you know, to their apps. Like, while you're there waiting for the Uber, uh, you can watch ads that Uber provides to you uh, because Uber is desperate to make more money because Uber has never been a profitable company. <laughs> and to me, this just illustrates like, like the whole Silicon Valley playbook of tech companies, growth at all cost. you know, massive influx of cash early on to, you know, build out these new products and services quickly and take over the market. And, oh, we're just changing the world. At this point... When I look at Silicon Valley style growth startups, when I look at social media, all of these different social media platforms out there, these large e-commerce platforms, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, the question for me isn't which one might fail next? It's which one is going to succeed? Like which one isn't going to be terrible? Which one isn't inshidifying in front of our very eyes? right? Like (laughs) the batting average is not good. It's, it's really not good. I mean, as a web developer, as a software developer, a product that I use that, you know, not a whole lot of people out in the wider world of the internet know about, but, you know, folks like me know about it, of course, is GitHub. And GitHub for a long time has just been like sort of this infrastructure thing, right? Like you put your code on GitHub uh, people use github to, you know, comment on code, update code, uh, when you commit your new code to github, it can trigger other services out there to do things like redeploy the website, blah blah blah. Like github's just this sort of, you know, sober, you know, nerdy technological infrastructure thing that only nerds working on tech need to even know about, uh, and it's just, you know, it's a very straightforward sort of value proposition. You know, why? why would you use GitHub? It, it just makes it easy. Like if everyone's on GitHub using it, it makes it really easy to share code. So many open source projects are hosted on GitHub. You know, it's just been, it's been this nice thing, right? And presumably they'd make money by, you know, charging larger companies, enterprises, whatever, to host their code. Probably their code's not open source. So, you know, GitHub can charge them as as a private company with private source code, etc. Fast forward to today, and if you look at GitHub, it's all about AI. GitHub and AI. GitHub Copilot. GitHub Copilot is your new AI pair programmer. AI, AI, AI. And GitHub Codespaces. You don't even need to have code on your computer. You don't even need to have a code editor locally on, running on your machine to edit your code. You can just do everything on GitHub. Now, now, in in isolation, I actually think uh, cloud editing and cloud-based code editors are kind of a cool concept, right? There's like a lot of benefits to that. I won't get into all that right now, but like, you know, just, just as a feature, you know, working on code, using a code editor in the cloud, like there are a lot of benefits to that. But we're moving away from, oh, GitHub's just, you know, a helpful piece of in- infrastructure as we you know, go about our day as programmers. It's moving from that to, like, everything's on GitHub. Everything goes through GitHub. Everything's funneled through GitHub. And in fact, GitHub's now writing your code for you. GitHub Copilot is now your pair programmer. You don't even need to know how to write code half the time. Just get GitHub to do it. And you know why all of this is happening? It's not because it's actually making anything better in the long term. It's because it's going to help GitHub make more money. It's all business, folks. It's all just business. (laughs) Uh, Now, again, like in isolation, nothing wrong with business per se. You know, a company's got to make money. But what we're seeing right now with this explosion of AI and AI hype is like All of these companies are just seeing dollar signs. They're just seeing all of these new ways to monetize people and monetize the the output from people. Because let's not forget, the only reason any of these so-called AI models work is because they've been trained on the, yep, you've guessed it, data that we've supplied to them for free. (laughs) All of the hard work we humans have given the internet. All of this free content, all of this free and open source code, etc., etc. It's just all data to be mined and then monetized. GitHub Copilot is GitHub monetizing the internet and you can pay them for that privilege to get regurgitated bits of whatever off of the internet and stuck in your code files. I mean, that's what's happening here. And it's just wild to me that we're letting these people do it. Once again, after everything we've learned, after all of the inshittification that we've been seeing, over and over and over again, we let these companies get away with it. Well, I'm I'm not doing that anymore. I'm just not like, like, uh, just like a company recently, uh, again, not to go into details because, uh, you know, if you're not a web developer, you don't care about this stuff, but, uh, there's a company that provides a, a software product that's for managing content. So companies that have a lot of content need to manage and then, you know, publish out to websites or, you know, knowledge bases, stuff in mobile apps, you know, maybe even print, whatever. Like all this content they gotta manage. It has to all get go into this content management system. So there's this company that's been providing, you know, a content management system. Fine. Nothing wrong with that. But all of a sudden now they're like, we're adding AI to our content management system. And this AI is gonna help humans become more human. Cause now humans can spend less time just Working on the minutiae of tedious content tasks and let the AI help them. The AI is going to help you do all this stuff, but it, it, like it goes even beyond that silliness into like the, the the philosophy of AI. Like for some reason this company couldn't just be like, "Hey, we added a chat bot text field here to our software. Type some stuff into the chat bot, get some stuff back, stick it in your blog post or whatever. Cool, right? Like they could have just done like a very basic little like. Here's a new feature. But no, they had to go this like massive step further and be like the future of humanity and like do this whole philosophical thing about like we're now seeing the, the, the early evidence of, of common sense and empathy. The computers can now empathize with us and we can now converse with our computers and it's going to usher in this new age and all this stuff. And I'm like, this is unethical marketing. This is fundamentally unethical marketing. Like, they're just saying all this stuff about AI is this and AI is that, and it's going to do this and that. And it's all BS. It's garbage. So I called them out. <laughs> like, I'm in this Slack group where, uh, you know, representatives from a lot of these companies tend to hang out and people post links to things about, you know, content web development so in regards to this, you know, link about this blog post, I said, this is unethical. This is unethical marketing. This is BS. And actually, a bit to my surprise, I heard back from one of the company representatives, not the person who who wrote that particular article I was calling out, but someone else that's a developer advocate at the company. And they start, like, arguing with me, like actually arguing with me about, philosophy of cognition, <laughs> like, and, and like trying to sort of be like, well, what is even intelligence? What even is creativity? Like that kind of stuff. And I'm like, what? You're a software company making a software product and you added a feature. Why are we talking about the philosophy of consciousness? Like, <laughs> again, I posted on Mastodon, like I, I just couldn't believe it. Like I posted on Mastodon, good grief. Now I'm getting chided by a software company for calling out their BS marketing on chat GPT integration with stuff like, quote, it's natural for humans to get a bit defensive when it comes to alleged uniqueness of our cognition, unquote. That's a real quote. I'm not making this up. (laughs) Y'all, <laughs> I want a tech company representative attempting to lecture me on the philosophy of human cognition like I want an anesthetic-free root canal. WTF is going on? Like, what is going on? What is even going on? Internet services, corp, the corporate internet. <laughs> Again, we're talking about the, like, the meltdown of the commercial internet here. Digital ecological collapse. These companies are so high on their own supply that when a customer, well, potential customer, I admit, I don't use their product, but here's a potential customer working in their industry saying like, hey, you can't do this. This is unethical marketing. And they start arguing with you about stuff that they don't know anything about. These people don't know anything about the philosophy of human consciousness, Now, admittedly, I don't know a ton about it either. I'm no expert. But I think it's fair to say when I look at a computer in front of me, and when I look at my child, my human child, they're clearly different, right? (laughs) One's a machine, and one's a person. Now, am I willing to admit that someday... Perhaps a machine will achieve personhood and there will be some, you know, spark of divine fire. Do I think AGI is possible? Maybe. I kind of like the fact that in Star Trek, The Next Generation, you know, we we encounter someone like Data. And, you know, clearly he's not equivalent to a human in many ways, right? Like he's presented as kind of almost like this, this innocent babe that doesn't understand humor or whatever, this or that. But, you know, in other ways, he's superhuman in, you know, in, in terms of intelligence, right? And so clearly, like, you know, we treat Data as a person. But I like the fact that, that like, no one really understands how it works, right? Like Like, he was invented by this mysterious inventor that, like, nobody knows where they are. And then finally, this person is found again. But it's like, it's all very shrouded in mystery. And no one really knows how to, how to even replicate data, right? Like nobody's no one can just like create a manufacturing pipeline and just start manufacturing datas, right? Like he's kind of this this like lightning in a bottle. We we don't understand how data became data. And I and I like that because I think that is how AGI might eventually happen. I think at some point in the future, you know, somehow a machine could, you know, achieve Some kind of consciousness, some kind of self-reflection, self-awareness, you know, true ability to learn and to grow and to adapt and to change. Um, Sure, but but we probably won't have any idea how it works. It's going to be just utterly beyond us. That doesn't describe large language models. Large language models are not that in any way, shape, or form. Sure, like as you use them, emergent properties can come along that are, you know, maybe hard for researchers to kind of, you know, work back into like, well, how does this get produced based on what we understand from the code and the training models and stuff. But like LLMs don't even run on anything exotic. Like we're not talking about like quantum computing or some kind of like leap ahead in how computers work. This stuff is just running on commodity hardware. Like, it's all just CPUs. It's all just GPUs. It's all zeros and ones. Like, there's nothing spooky going on. There's nothing exotic in terms of the matter or the energy involved in running LLMs. These AI products are just algorithms. Clever algorithms? Awesome for a tech demo? Of course. It's really impressive just, you know, from a pure, like, nerding out over technology standpoint. But the way it gets hyped up into like, oh, we have chat GPT today, but tomorrow we're going to have empathetic personalities that we can interact with and to enhance our creativity. What? What? (laughs) It beggars belief. It beggars belief that, you know, that there's so much hype out there. That I end up in an argument with a company representative where they're trying to lecture me on the philosophy of human cognition because they're so unwilling to say like, okay, yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, it's marketing and <laughs> we got a little overzealous there. We'll we'll try to tone it down in the future. That's all they had to say. All they had to say was like, "Yeah, okay. It is kind of BS. Sorry. We'll we'll try to do better, you know. We'll 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 tone it down a bit. Yeah, it's just code, you know. It's yeah, sure. Of course, you're right. It's just co- just some code running on some computers. Uh, yeah, we, you know, we can dial it down a notch." No, they feel like they have to <laughs> they have to justify their outrageous hype of a technology that has so many downsides, so many ethical problems, so many thorny issues. Like, like it's not hyperbole to say that, uh, you know, chat, GPT, et cetera, uh, because of the type of content they produce and how easy it is for that content to be produced. Uh, you know, the internet is in danger of just becoming garbage, like, f- like full-on just like content farm style garbage everywhere at every turn. And then if you train the LLM models on their own output, it becomes like that movie. Uh, What was the name of that movie? Or the guy, uh, I don't remember the name of the movie, but it was Michael Keaton. Like he, he somehow figures out a way to clone himself, but each clone is a little bit worse. So like After a few sequences of clones happening, you get like this like total moron (laughs) who's a jerk, right? You go from like nice upstanding citizen to total moron loser (laughs) because each clone's a little bit worse. And it's like that with LLMs. Like each time you you generate content out of the LLM, and then that content then gets trained back into the LLM, and then the LLM can generate more content, right? Like each each generation, things get worse, just gets worse and worse until pretty soon you end up with incomprehensible nonsense with with, and and no nothing factually correct in any way. (laughs) And we're in danger of this happening. Like if all of the, you know, Q&A sites out there, programming answers, uh, scientific papers, you know. Useful blog posts on topics, presumably by people that know what the heck they're talking about. Like If, if you start just infecting all of that with, with the so-called AI garbage, it, it's literally the inshittification of the entire internet. And it feels like all of the companies out there that should know better like companies in charge of content systems companies in charge of social media companies in charge of search in charge in charge of e-commerce right in charge of like transportation like all of these pillars of the modern commercial internet that should know better that should understand these dangers that should understand the importance of of protecting the environment the digital environment right like like, we're, we're trying to wrap our heads around how to protect our actual environment from collapse, right? In the face of climate change and all these other things, right? We're, we're trying to figure out how to protect our planet from environmental collapse. And meanwhile, we can't even figure out how to protect our digital environment from collapse. What is going on? It's really frustrating. But at the same time... There's opportunity here. There's opportunity to turn the corner and do something different. We we do still have free agency. We can choose better tools. We can choose better systems. You know the the rise of the Fediverse and now the Threadiverse. <laughs> yes, folks, people are calling uh, the 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 sort of uh, Fediverse equivalents to Reddit, et cetera. Uh, it's being called the Threadiverse, and you have these new platforms like Kbin, Lemmy, et cetera. All these new instances popping up. Uh, it's it's pretty interesting, but but people really have to choose to you know put their time and their effort into building these these new platforms and using them uh, that are fundamentally different. That that are are it's much harder. For that to become inchitified, right? Like like Mastodon can't become in tomorrow. There's 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 no one CEO or or entity or corporation that can come along and say, well, well, this this is Mastodon. This is the future of Mastodon. Because like even if even if the core team of people working on Mastodon, the open source you know software, like even if they suddenly go off the rocker you know, the community at large can simply fork Mastodon and call it, you know, Fastodon or whatever. And, you know, everyone can switch their instances to using that and, and continue on. Like that's the, that's the power of free and open source software, open protocols is it's much easier to see, you know, particular service, particular company, whatever, if they're going off the rails the, the 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 cost of switching is low. The problem with Twitter and Reddit, et cetera, is the cost of switching is high. It's really high. If you if you've poured years of your life into building up a following on Twitter, if you've poured years of your life into moderating subreddits and, and publishing content through that, and and all of that, like like it can all go away. Like flip of the switch, you're toast. You know, unless you want to compromise all of your ethics. <laughs> so, yeah, I I think, you know, as bad as things may seem, as bleak as things may seem, uh, you know, I, I also see a lot of hope out there. I see a lot of hope for, for you know, rebuilding a better Internet that is not consolidated around a few points of failure. Uh, we really can do better but it's it's going to take a lot of intentional effort right uh and this brings me to <laughs> uh what I'm doing here at uh at fresh fusion uh, and and essentially this this new subscription service that I've started working on i I posted about this on my blog uh, I also wrote about it a little bit more uh in a in a post to the creator class community uh, so if you're if if you're on that mailing list you should have gotten that but um you know the, we 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 have to move away from the sort of traditional social media strategy that that jab 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 right hook uh strategy that you know kind of became the thing right like you got to get a million followers and you got to get a million views or whatever and you got to you know you got to get all of this attention for just like being a, a a personality a clever personality on the internet or something like that uh, and then you know you can roll out the thing that you're trying to sell and because you've gotten all this goodwill and all this attention you know you can now sell that thing and it's and it's this like sales funnel through essentially the attention economy that that term that we've all heard the attention economy it's it's using the attention economy to sell I think that's just fundamentally unobtainable at this point. It's not even desirable, you know. You're you're going to have to compromise your ethics to make any of that work. Um, you know, I, I genuinely feel bad for creators who have to stay on Twitter, who have to stay on Instagram. Uh increasingly I'm queasy about YouTube and some people like They only exist as YouTubers, like their their identity as a content creator is so tied up with that platform that it's literally what they're called. They're a YouTuber. So what happens when YouTube goes down the drain? What do you even do? And just this idea that as content creators, we have to constantly compromise our ethics, compromise our values, you know, take on all these, you know, questionable sponsorships at best and support these horrible ad driven platforms at worst and it's just it's 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 a real problem, you know. Even even top creators out there, it feels like they're beholden. Like to this very day, I can't understand why somebody like a Casey Neistat couldn't have just set up caseyneistat.com, publish content at caseyneistat.com. You know, like he could have easily set up his own video streaming service. Created a community, created, you know, tiers or whatever, built an entire business around being Casey Neistat on his own terms. And sure, still some, you know, post some stuff here and there to YouTube, but really just use YouTube as more of a, of a, you know, sort of a funnel, sort of a promotional vehicle to get people to go over to, you know, the Casey Neistat cinematic universe. Like he could have done all that, but instead he's just, he's just a YouTuber, don't understand it. I don't understand why, like, even top creators seem to be so unable to see past their relationship with these bad, toxic platforms. <laughs> you you just don't have control over these platforms. So, why would you keep supporting them with your time, with all of your content? Uh, I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> I'm not doing that anymore. Like, listen, I I wish I wish, like in an ideal world, I wish I could just put all of my content out there for free, post it on all these exciting platforms, get it in front of as many people as possible, and you know, somehow I make a living, right? Like, <laughs> I don't want to have to put everything behind a paywall. I don't want to have to feel like I'm charging people for my content. Uh, I'm not excited about becoming Mr. Businessman in that sense. But I feel like I have no other option. I have no other option. You know, I, I listen, I understand paywalls are not super popular. You know, a lot of consumer fatigue out there around paywalls. But like it's the only way i know how to provide something of real value to people in a way that it's on my terms and it's on our terms as the community like for, for me to to start putting content behind paywalls and for people to to pay for that like we we now have a direct relationship that is mutually beneficial you pay me money i provide valuable content to you and we're not beholden to other platforms we're not beholden to sponsorships we're not beholden to ads we're not beholden to to ai like we're not beholden to all of these hype cycles it's just it's just this very simple mutually beneficial transaction and not every transaction has to feel icky or or transactional <laughs> like you can have good transactions. Like, you know, I subscribe to a podcast called Upgrade. I get Upgrade Plus. I get the bonus version of the podcast, no ads, additional content. And I don't feel bad about paying for it. Like it's great. I support Jason Snell, I support Mike Hurley, I support Relay FM by by paying for the premium version of their podcast. It's great. Right? No, i don't pay for every podcast i listen to i i wish i could pay for more and frankly i don't always but like there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with providing monetary compensation to a creator in exchange for them giving you their best work giving you their best effort so that's that's where i'm going to to round out the episode today and and listen it's a long one so thank you for bearing with me here uh that's that's where we're arriving at here is is you know everything i'm doing uh going forward in terms of all of these different projects i'm involved in including this podcast uh, i'm asking myself um what can i really provide people of, of real value how can i really feel like we're building a community here and we're we're making a positive difference in the world <laughs> you know how, how can we uh you know take all of our frustrations and all of our angst over what's happening on the internet and all of the frustrations we have as content creators and sort of flip the script and start doing something positive start you know taking steps to to make changes that we want to see in the world and and um so yeah, I, I'm, you know, I'm evaluating everything I do from writing a newsletter to publishing on a blog to to recording this podcast, potentially recording other podcasts, things I'm doing with video, educational products, stuff in the web development space through my site, the spicy web, like all of these different projects I'm involved in. Um, I'm, I'm looking how to sort of place all of it under a single umbrella, where I can charge people, you know, a very modest sum, and... You know, have all of this really valuable content be available. My best work. I'm super excited about this. Um, again, I wrote on the blog a little bit about what I'm doing and this new service, but there's going to be a lot more to come. So, uh, yeah, thanks for, thanks for sticking around here. Your feedback on all of this stuff is, of course, deeply, deeply welcome and encouraged. Feel free to email me anytime, jared at jaredwhite.com or reach out to me through the Fediverse, where I am, of course, at Jared White at indieweb.social. So thanks once again for listening to Fresh Fusion. My name is Jared White, and until next time, bye-bye.